Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning section of the Wednesday, November 30th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to get going on a Wednesday here. Um, Wow, it is the end of November. Honestly, 2022 has flown by. Kind of surprising that we've gotten this far. Um, But, um, and I got to be honest, I'm trying a new coffee. I was at the store today and I was needing a little bit more to try to get me to my next shipment from Black Rifle Coffee and found Black Rifle Coffee at the Walmart. So this is a uh, this is a caffeinated brand or a caffeinated version. It's called Tactisquatch. Yes, it has something to do with Sasquatch. Um, but it's a dark roast and oh, it is so good. But so sitting here this morning with my Tactisquatch. And uh, we're going to get rolling with our uh, with our reading for today. Let me get my mouse over where so I can read. Ah, there we go. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started this morning with our fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son... Thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, and now our... uh, devotional, our morning devotional for November 30th from Spurgeon's Morning Evening. Uh, The text for it is 2 Chronicles 25, 9. And Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. A very important question this seemed to be to the king of Judah. And possibly it is of even more weight with the tried and tempted, O Christian. 
To lose money is at no times pleasant. And when principle involves it, the flesh is not always ready to make the sacrifice. Why lose that which may be so usefully employed? May not the truth itself be brought, bought too dear? What shall we do without it? Remember the children and our small income. All these things and a thousand more would tempt the Christian to put forth his hand to unrighteous gain, or stay himself from carrying out his conscientious convictions, when they involve serious loss. All men cannot view these matters in the light of faith. And even with the followers of Jesus, the doctrine of we must live has quite sufficient weight. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this, than this is a very, I'm sorry, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this is a very satisfactory answer to the anxious question. Our Father holds the purse strings, and what we lose for his sake he can repay a thousandfold. It is ours to obey his will, and we may rest assured that he will provide for us. The Lord will be no man's debtor at the last. Saints know that a grain of heart's ease is of more value than a ton of gold. He who wraps a threadbare coat about a good conscience has gained a spiritual wealth far more desirable than any he has lost. God's smile and a dungeon are enough for a true heart. His frown and a palace would be held to a gracious spirit. Let the worst come to the worst. Let all the talents go. We have not lost our treasure, for that is above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Meanwhile, even now, the Lord maketh the meek to inherit the earth, and no good thing doth he withhold from them that walk uprightly. All right, and now our reading for today, we're going to start in 1 Chronicles 28. And David assembled at Jerusalem all the commanders of Israel, the commanders of the tribes, and the commanders of the divisions that ministered to the king, and the commanders of thousands, and the commanders of hundreds, and the commanders over all the properties all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, with the officials and the mighty men, even all the mighty men of valor. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it within my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of Yahweh and for the footstool of the feet of our God. So I had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet Yahweh, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah to be a ruler. And in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. Now all, now of all my sons, for Yahweh has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of Yahweh over Israel. And he said to me, Your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him, and I will establish his kingdom forever, if he will be strong to do my commandments and my judgments as is done now. So now, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of Yahweh, and in the hearing of our God, keep and seek after all the commandments of Yahweh, your God, so that you may possess the good land and cause your sons after you to inherit it forever. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and a delighted, delighted soul, for Yahweh searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. See now, for Yahweh has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. 
be strong and act. Then David gave to his son Solomon the pattern of the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat, and the pattern of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of Yahweh and for all the surrounding chambers, for the treasuries of the house of God and for the treasuries of the holy things, also for the divisions of the priests and the Levites and for all the work of the service of the house of Yahweh and for all the utensils of service in the house of Yahweh. For the golden utensils, the weight of gold, for all utensils, for every kind of service. For the silver utensils, the weight of silver, for all utensils, for every kind of service. And the weight of gold for the golden lampstands, and their golden lamps, with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps. And the weight of silver for the silver lampstands, with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, according to the surface of each lampstand. And the gold by weight for the tables of showbread, for each table and silver for the silver tables and the flesh hooks, the bowls, and the jars of pure gold, and for the golden bowls with the weight for each bowl, and for the silver bowls with the weight for each bowl, and for the altar of incense refined gold by weight, and gold for the pattern of the chariot, even the cherubim that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. All this, said David, has been granted to me as insight and writing by the hand of Yahweh, all the details of this pattern. Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for Yahweh God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the works for the service of the house of Yahweh is completed. Now behold, there are the, these, there are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing man with wisdom will be with you in all the work for all the service. The officials also, and all the people, will be entirely at your command. All right, and now Second Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And men, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they blaspheme glorious ones. Whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, blaspheming where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. 
suffering unrighteousness as the wages of their unrighteousness, considering it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and unceasing sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. They are accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own lawlessness, for a mute donkey speaking out with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been kept. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by sensual lusts of the flesh those who barely escape from the ones who conducted themselves in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if they are overcome, having both escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and having again been entangled in them, then the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. The message of the true Proverbs has happened to them. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. All right, I'm going to have some coffee here real quick. All right, now we're going to go on with Micah 5. Um, we'll see. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will strike. I'm sorry. I've clicked something and it blocked out what I was reading. Oh, let, let me start over because I barely got into it. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from everlasting, from the ancient days. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in childbirth has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brothers will return to the sons of Israel, and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be peace. When the Assyrian enters our land, when he treads on our citadels, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men, and they will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he enters our land, and when he treads within our borders. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples, like a dew from Yahweh, like showers on vegetation which do not hope for man, or wait for the sons of men. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which if it passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to deliver. Your hand will be raised up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, and pull down all your fortifications, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand, 
and you will have soothsaying no more. And I will cut off your graven images and your sacred pillars from among you, so that you will no longer worship the work of your hands. And I will uproot your Asherim from among you and eradicate your cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not listened. All right. And now one more. Let's see. Luke 14. And it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And behold, in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the scholars of the law and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. Oh, but they were silent. And he took hold of him, healed him, and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And he was telling a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they were picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not recline at the place of honor, lest someone more highly regarded than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in shame you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who recline at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself sorry, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for it will be repaid to you at the resurrection of the righteous. But when one of those who were, who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. I ask you, consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you, consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And when the slave came back, he reported these things to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the fences, and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Now many crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Lest when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with ten thousand men to encounter the one coming against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, and that is our reading for today. Um, I hope you have a wonderful Wednesday, um, you know, middle of the week. So, hey, we're we're heading towards the weekend. Um, but, um, you know, as I've been talking about through uh, the nightly messages dealing with the, um, I guess it was the last two or three nights, dealing with um, the relationship between the slave and the master or in, in our world between the employer and the employee or the supervisor and the employee. Um, you know, let, let's, let's really work on, and I say this to myself as much as to any of you, um, that we truly go and truly make our workplaces a temple, that we truly behave in a full Christian manner, that we are diligent, that we are, that we are pleasant, um, that, that we are respectful and that we are disciplined in what we do. We are conscientious in what we do, um, in our, in our workplace, um, that we truly are a model of Christ in our workplace. Um, and in saying that, I would also say to you, please make sure that you go and do all that you do for the glory of God today. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to be doing um, this prayer is called Regeneration from the Valley of Vision. O oh God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with my every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased, washed, favored, clothed, adorned me. When I was worthless, vile, soiled, polluted, I was dead in, in iniquities, having no eye to see thee, no ear to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee, but thy spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, solace, joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love, and dost forgive my daily, my, my daily hour. I'm sorry, and dost forgive me daily, hourly. O oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love, of my hopes and my vocation. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself. Protect me that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admitted of many. Help me to walk by the, thy side, lean on thy arm, hold converse with thee, that henceforth I may be salt of the earth. 
and a blessing to all. Amen. All right. Well, that is our reading for this morning. And again, go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening section of the, let's see, Wednesday, November 30th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to go ahead and jump straight into this. Um, our, uh, uh, well, I hope you had a good day. Um, I hope that you did your best to do all that you do for the glory of God and to make your workplace a temple to, you know, truly exhibit the Christian worthy walk. Um, as I've been speaking of the last couple of evenings on the podcast, but let's, so anyways, let's go ahead and jump in. Sorry. I don't mean to ramble. Um, we're going to open up with a prayer from Valley of vision as we usually do. In this case, this one is called Jesus, my glory. O Lord God, thou hast commanded me to believe in Jesus and I would flee to no other refuge, wash in no other fountain, build on no other foundation, receive from no other fullness, rest in no other relief. His water and blood were not severed, and their flow at the cross. May they never be separated in my creed and experiences. May I be equally convinced of the guilt and pollution of sin, feel my need of a prince and savior. Implore of him repentance as well as forgiveness. Love holiness and be pure in heart. Have the mind of Jesus and tread in his steps. Let me not be at my own disposal, but rejoice that I am under the care of one who is too wise to err, too kind to injure, too tender to crush. May I scandalize none by my temper and conduct, but recommend and endear Christ to all around. Bestow good on everyone as circumstances permit, <clears throat> and decline no opportunity of usefulness. Grant that I may value my substance not as the medium of pride and luxury, but as the means of my support and stewardship. Help me to guide my affections with discretion, to owe no man anything, to be able to give to him what that needeth, to feel it my duty and pleasure to be merciful and forgiving, to show to the world the likeness of Jesus. Amen. All right, and now... I'm sorry, I'm breathing a little heavy here. Um, November 30th, 2022, the evening devotion for tonight. Um, the text for it is Revelation 12, 7. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. War always will rage between the two great sovereignties until one or other be crushed. Peace between good and evil is an impossibility. The very pretense of it would, in fact, be the triumph of the powers of darkness. Michael will always fight. His holy soul is vexed with sin and will not endure it. Jesus will always be the dragon's foe, and that not in a quiet sense, but actively, vigorously, with full determination to exterminate evil. All his servants, whether angels in heaven or messengers on earth, will and must fight. They are born to be warriors. At the cross they enter into covenant, never to make truce with evil. They are a warlike company, firm in defense and fierce in attack. 
the duty of every soldier in the army of the Lord is daily, with all his heart and soul and strength, to fight against the dragon. The dragon and his angels will not decline the affray. They are incessant in their onslaughts, sparing no weapon, fair or foul. We are foolish to expect to serve God without opposition. The more zealous we are, the more sure are we to be assailed by the myrmidons of hell. The church may become slothful, but not so her great antagonist. His restless spirit never suffers the war to pause. He hates the woman's seed, and would fain devour the church if he could. The servants of Satan partake much of the old dragon's energy, and are usually an active race. War rages all around, and to dream of peace is dangerous and futile. Glory be to God, we know the end of the war. The great dragon shall be cast out and forever destroyed, while Jesus and they who are with him shall receive the crown. Let us sharpen our swords tonight and pray the Holy Spirit to nerve our arms for the conflict. Never battle so important, never crown so glorious, every man to his post, ye warriors of the cross, and may the Lord tread Satan under your feet shortly. Well, that's definitely a perfect, perfect, dadgummit, sorry, trying to drag my mouse around here. That is definitely a perfect, perfect um, devotion leading into, and we'll actually read another one here um, as part of my message tonight, but to to read um, leading into the next section we're going to do today. Um, we're going to do this evening in Ephesians 6, um, as we have been doing. And I'm sorry, I'm going to make a little noise here. I'm swinging my table around a little bit so that I'm more balanced there. Easier to read. Thank you. Um, sorry for the noise. Um, so we're continuing in Ephesians 6. We've moved through the last of the family section. You know, we've been, um, Paul has walked us through this. Um, and we're heading on into the section um, that I guess better than anything as at least for me, at least these first four verses, um, from Ephesians six verses 10 through 13 that I always considered it's the preparation for battle. And we're going to be talking about being strong this evening. So if we're truly Christians, if we're truly saved, we are in a spiritual battle from the time of our salvation to the time of our glorification. This isn't a maybe or might be, or might happen at some time. I say again, if we are truly saved, if we are true blood-bought, born-again Christians, we enter the spiritual battlefield upon coming to a saving faith in Christ. We do not leave it until our glorification, until we pass into eternity. So I want to read to you from Spurgeon, again, as morning and evening. This is the December 28th evening text. Um, it is wonderful here. The text for it, which seems fitting, is, I came not to send peace on earth, but a sword, from Matthew 10.34. The Christian will be sure to make enemies. It will be one of his objects to make none. But if to do the right and to believe the true should cause him to lose every earthly friend, he will count it but a small loss since his great friend in heaven will be yet more friendly and reveal himself to him more graciously than ever. O ye who have taken up his cross, know ye not what your master said? I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother 
and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Christ is the great peacemaker, but before peace he brings war. Where the light cometh, the darkness must retire. Where truth is, the lie must flee. Or if it abideth, there must be a stern conflict, for the truth cannot and will not lower its standard, and the lie must be trodden under foot. If you follow Christ, you shall have all the dogs of, this, of the world yelping at your heels. If you would live so as to stand the test of the last tribunal, depend on it, the world will not speak well of you. He who has the friendship of the world is an enemy to God. But if you are true and faithful to the Most High, men will resent your unfl unflinching fidelity, since it is a testimony against their iniquities. Fearless of all consequences, you must do the right. You will need the courage of a lion unhesitatingly to pursue a course which shall turn your best friend into your fiercest foe. But for the love of Jesus, you must thus be courageous. For the truth's sake, to hazard reputation and affection is such a deed that to do it constantly, you will need a degree of moral principle which only the Spirit of God can work in you. Yet turn not back, I'm sorry, yet turn not your back like a coward, but play the man. Follow right manfully in your master's steps, for he has traversed this rough way before you. Better a brief warfare and eternal rest than false peace and everlasting torment. That is fact. What Spurgeon said here is fact. And that's what Paul is speaking of here and provides exhortation regarding in this conclusion to the book of Ephesians that we're entering in our study this, this evening. Um, again, that's the thing. This is the conclusion. We're coming into the conclusion, this last part of Ephesians 6 from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. This is the conclusion. Um, you can even tell that. You look at the first word of verse 10, finally. Basically saying, based on everything else, finally, and giving you these last, this last part, this conclusion. Paul has educated us on our position in Christ. That's verses 1 through 3, um, or chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. He, he, he's educated us on, of the, on the doctrine of being a member of the church, of being in Christ. That's those first three chapters, the doctrine. And then he instruct us, uh, instructs us on the practical, on the Christian walk, on our duty as members of the body of Christ, and what our actions should look like based on that position, based on that doctrine from chapters 1 through 3. He taught us that in verses four or chapters 4 through 6. But what Paul does in this conclusion in this conclusion is that he makes clear that if we are truly in Christ and if we are truly walking the Christian walk, that worthy walk, then we will be constantly in a spiritual battle and we need to be properly prepared, have the proper equipment, including the proper weapons, which is what the end of chapter six instructs us on. Does it sound like I'm overstating things? Really? Let's look at the United Methodist Church. It was liberal at its outset. It was liberal at its outset decades ago um, in the 70s, I believe is the beginning of the 70s when it first formed. Um, groups came together to form it. And back in 2019, the churches in America, the, the, the bleeding liberal United Methodist churches in America, tried to ram through um, a measure at their national at their world conference their their international conference they tried to ram through the idea of accepting homosexual marriages and clergy and transsexualism before the conservative base that was growing 
um, which was mostly outside the United States, though there are a few conservative churches still here in the United States, but most of them were from the Southern equator or was from the Southern hemisphere, South America, um, parts of Asia, Africa was the conservative base and it was growing while the liberal base, which is mostly here in the United States was dying off. It was bleeding members like an open jugular. And before that, that conservative growth overtook them, the liberal group was trying to force this through to get the measure passed, but they failed. They failed. And the denomination is splitting. It is split already. What churches have forked off um, into a new group that, that will not, the conservatives are, have forked off. Well, at least if I understand it right, it's the conservative ones that are forking off saying, we don't want to be any part of you anymore. Whether you pass that thing or not, we don't want to be any part of this. Um, because the things that the United Methodist Church are doing are directly in conflict with the word of God. I'm, I'm not talking my translation or anybody else's translation. Again, nobody's interpretation. The word of God is very, very clear about that. Homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is not something to be tolerated within the church. Neither is adultery. And that is a sin as well. So don't, don't think I'm, I'm giving heterosexuals a break on being um, sexually inappropriate. I'm not. Transsexualism. The Bible is very clear. It talks specifically about that. It is an abomination before God. It is not to be tolerated, and especially not in its clergy. I mean, Paul is very, very clear in First and Second Timothy and Titus what the elders, what the preaching elders should look like. And homosexuality and transsexual and all of that, and honestly, female, heterosexual or not, and female, they are not to be the clergy. But United Methodist Church had already charged down that down that um, path. They let down their guard, and they did not put on the whole armor of God and use the designated weapons, and they've charged into apostasy. But lest I forget, we have the Southern Baptist Convention that is so busy identifying with the culture, with the world, that they passed Resolution 9 at the conference in 2019, which brought in CRT, critical race theory, and intersectionality into the fold. No matter what their opinions are about it, they brought godless ideologies. Both of those are godless ideologies. They are in direct conflict with true Christianity, and they brought it into the de denomination. They claim they were doing it to be solely used as analytical tools. However, all the true experts on this that I've heard both Christian and secular. I'm not just talking people trying to keep it out of the Southern Baptist Convention, but secular people that have no skin in the game have made very, very clear that these are not, it is not possible to keep critical race theory and intersectionality as pure analytical tools. The victim culture of CRT and intersectionality takes over and Christianity or any other religion falls by the wayside. We have the Roman Catholic Church that is a bastion of religion and ceremony and observance. They are decidedly caught up on works, and it has been made clear over the centuries that papal decree as as valid, if not more so than the word of God itself, which is directly in conflict with God's word in the Bible, directly in conflict with it.
Okay. Um, and again, they are caught up on works. And when I say they are caught up on works, it's, it's not faith alone through grace alone. It's faith plus works along with grace plus works along with the scripture plus papal decree along with it's plus plus plus, which is not what the scriptures say. With all of these current day examples, does it really sound like I'm overstating things saying we're in a spiritual battle? Paul didn't think so. Neither did the apostle John. Jesus himself told John in the book of Revelation of the first century churches that were there, sorry, of first century churches that were in a battle and were already slipping. He already sent out, if you know, the letters to the seven churches. Those letters to the seven churches show the dangers of not being prepared for the constant spiritual battle, of not wearing the full armor of God, of not using the God-ordained weapons for this battle. So I'm going to read you part of the letter to one of the churches. Um, Let's see. There we go. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the letter to the church in Ephesus. So the one that Paul is right now is writing this letter to that we're studying, the apostle John, years later, gets this from Jesus Christ about that church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, This is what the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You also have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We see here the Ephesian church. Like I said, the same one that Paul is talking to in our text for today, which will be verse 10 of Ephesians 6. So what's their issue at this point in Revelation when talking to John, when Jesus Christ talking to John, the apostle? Jesus is clear. They've lost their first love. The love he's speaking of is the love of Christ. Their religious practices, while perfectly carried out, are loveless. They're cold. They're they're plain orthodoxy, but not orthodoxy based on a true love of Christ. Does that sound like a church today? Think the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. They're all about ceremony, but it's not about love of Christ. It really isn't. I'm not saying you can't find people within those denominations that have a love for Christ, but the overall church there is not. The people in the Ephesian church, so again, Paul is the one giving, sending them this letter that we're studying in, in the book of Ephesians. That's It's a letter to them. Please remember that the chapter and verse thing and all that was implemented by humans, by, by us, centuries down the road. Paul wrote this as a letter to this church. 
And he gave them all these warnings. He told them all these things. He told them about the walk. He wrote this, this conclusion here, speaking of being prepared for the battle and talking about the full armor of God and the weapons and the things they needed to be ready for. Um, and we'll see, he even warned them again after this letter. Well, maybe it was before this letter. Actually, it was before this letter. He actually warns them in person. And you'll see that shortly. Yet, they're getting called out by Jesus to the Apostle John. Um, I, and I, I'm not sure when that was written. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think it's sometime between 70 and 90 AD that the book of Revelation is written, that, that John gets this revelation. But they were so, um, the, the, the Ephesian church was so unprepared and so badly fought these battles that the Ephesian church died out. Still think this is something that's not a big deal? A large tr chunk of the evangelical church thinks it's no big deal. Should we? You can see similar things from five of the seven churches mentioned by Christ. Issues that have cropped up that, that, up that mirror issues we have today. You can even go into Acts 20, verses 28 through 32, and you see Paul warning the church at Ephesus that this spiritual battle is here. And he tells them that there are going to be... be Wolves coming from outside and probably, and I forget what he refers to them as, but, and coming from within as well, that are going to twist them and be a threat to them. He, he tells him very clearly. So he warned them in person and he wrote this letter. And I think he wrote this letter after he warned them in person, but he told them very clearly, you are under threat and they were still not ready. And they felt the Ephesian church isn't there anymore, is it? And it wasn't, I mean, within, within a hundred years or so, it was gone. So my question to you and to myself are, is God's armor insufficient for the battle? Was God's instruction through Paul on being prepared insufficient for the battle? Are God's spiritual weapons insufficient for the battle? If we know anything about the attributes of God, we know that the answers to these questions is no. The war was won on the cross by Christ. The war has been won. Satan loses, but the battles rage until Christ returns, and we have to fight those battles. We are called to fight those battles. God is all-sufficient, as is all of his provisions. What ends up being insufficient is our obedience to God, is our truly loving Christ, is our true preparation for the spiritual battle that we are in, again, that we are in right now. So let's look at what Paul says regarding this preparation. And again, we're only going to deal with one part of it today or this evening, um, especially because I'm running very, very long right now. But we see Ephesians 6 verse 10. I'm, well, I'll go ahead and read the whole thing and then I'll go back to 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God, armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. So the verse we're dealing with today is, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. So Paul, again, starts in these verses, verses 10 through 13, with some exhortations to us about being ready. 
and then tells us the reasoning behind them. So we're going to deal with the first exhortation, his first command today, the first command from God through Paul. And that first exhortation is in verse 10 that I just read you. Um, and it's be strong in the Lord and the might of his strength. That's it. Now, like I pointed out before, note the finally that starts this, this verse. This is an indicator that based on everything else in Ephesians chapter 1 to chapter 6, verse 9, based on all of that, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. That's what that finally does and goes on to, we must put on the full armor of God. And we must take up the appropriate weapons. That's what it's talking about here. But verse 10 speaks of being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And Paul isn't telling us to build up our strength to fight this battle. We're to be strong in the Lord's strength. The Greek here, you've got three, well, in English, we have three different words, but in the Greek, it's the same thing. It's three absolutely different words, words denoting strength, might, power. So that's it. Be strong in the Lord. That's the first word. And in the might, that's the second word of his strength. That's the third word. And we see that before in Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20. He ends up, at, at that point, Paul ends up using four different words um, to refer to strength um, in, in different ways within that writing. As Paul indicate, indicated there, this is the power that raised Christ from the dead, that created this universe. That's the power that we are to be strengthened with. That is the power that properly prepares us for the spiritual battle that we are in. This, this strength cannot come from us. Our own strength and capabilities will only cause us to fail in this battle. Paul is very clear about this and is very clear about it in other locations. Um, Philippians 4, verse 13. This is Paul speaking. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The him is God. He can do it through the strength of God, not through his own strength. He's very, very clear about this. He's even clearer um, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. This is Paul speaking about his thorn in the flesh. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our weakness, we are strong through the strength of Christ. Again, this is the strength of Christ. This is the strength of God. This is the strength that created this universe, that, that resurrected Christ, that resurrected um, uh, Lazarus. And let me see if I can give you a picture of this. When I used to play baseball, and admittedly it was a very long time ago, but when I used to play baseball, the coaches used to always say to get your hips into your swing. Now, of course, when, when you stop and think logically about it, you think, wait a minute, I'm swinging with my arms. Why wouldn't I get my arms and my shoulders into your swing? And you do, but you sit there and think, well, my hips really have nothing to do with it, but they really do. The, the point being to get the whole body involved in the swing to get the power and speed needed for successful contact with the ball. 
if I swing from the wrists, the speed and power are pitiful. I mean, the odds of getting the baseball out of the infield, the only thing that gets it out of there is because the pitcher threw it so hard um, if you make contact. I mean, even scientific studies have shown that the power and speed of a full body swing versus a wrist swing are exponentially different. Think firecracker and nuclear bomb. That is us trying to fight spiritual battles with our own strength versus being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We have to be strong in God. It has to be his strength. So the question we have to ask, and this is going to close up our study for tonight, is how do we become strong in the Lord? By constant exposure to God's word through study, teaching, and preaching, and constant prayer. Those are the spiritual exercises we need to be about so that we are strong in the Lord. And we can't make any excuses about that. I know, like I've said earlier, um, this weeks ago, 8% of professing Christians read their Bibles. I guarantee it's less than that that actually pray or pray regularly. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but I would make a good guess um, with that. We have got to be in the Word. We have got to be under sound preaching. We have got to be under sound teaching. We have to be doing more than just reading the Bible. We have to be studying it. And we have to be constantly in prayer. That is the only way that we are going to be strong in the strength of God, in the might of God, to be ready for this battle. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. I'm going to see if I can actually fit this in. It's the fourth day evening prayer. God, all sufficient. King of glory, divine majesty. Every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness is that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee and blessed God never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But when we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity, thou hast provided us a savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending time with me this evening. I hope uh, reading this morning and this time this evening um, has been edifying and equipping um, and uh, has lifted you up, um, has pointed things out, has, have opened your eyes and your ears. Um, and I hope it'll drive you to be more in the word of God and more in prayer and more under the teaching of the word of God. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening and a good night's rest. And God willing, I'll see you in the morning. God bless.